Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play team. This actual play uses the 5th edition Vampire the Masquerade tabletop role-playing rules by World of Darkness. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. Listeners should know that this podcast is intended for a mature audience and will include strong language and mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and so forth, that may bear resemblance to entities living, dead, or undead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Rena Henze, and for tonight's game, I will be your storyteller. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the finale episode of the Old Ways Podcast, Vampire the Masquerade Chronicle, Shards of San Francisco. I am your storyteller, Storyteller Rena, and tonight we look forward to seeing, finally, what happens to the Vampire's Union of San Francisco. Before we get started, I'd like to thank all of you, the listeners and the Patreon supporters. We could not have done this show without you. Thank you for all of your support and your listening ears. Uh, throughout the last couple of seasons. If you would like to join our Patreon and support us by backing the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash podcast, and you will earn our undying gratitude. Not that we're not already grateful for you, but extra gratitude on top. And now, on to the finale, with some introductions. To my right. Hi, this is Mike, and I play Marcus Voss of Clan Bruja. And next to Marcus... Hi, this is John. I'll be playing Sylvester LaViolette of Clan Gangrel. And at the end of the table? Hi, my name is Tegan, and I'm playing Rom the Shaman of Clan Malkavian. And next to Rom? Hi, this is Ali, and I play Katerina Bogdanovich, and I have a box. You do have a box, but what's in the box? And normally I would say last, but we have a special guest with us tonight. So next to Katerina... This is Tiffany, and I play Alex Giovanni of Clan Hakata. And now, last but not least, our very special guest on this final episode. Hi, my name is Patrick McNamara uh, of Dog Food Studios, your best friend and the only person who truly understands you. I'm going to be playing Roger Pendley Funt. Wonderful. We're very happy to have Sir Roger back with us to see where this union goes. So on this night in San Francisco with everyone at Elysium. Rom is your Uber, arrives nearby, but not at Elysium. So you can walk down the street with your new child in tow. Uh, Sir Roger, you have earlier in this evening received a message from Marcus asking you to join him and Mariam at Elysium for some union matters this evening. So you have also just arrived prior to Rom. And as you walk into Elysium, the first thing you notice is this general air of malaise and a bit of tension. And then you walk a little bit further in, and it's not just a little bit of tension. There is a lot of tension in this room. Sebastian is behind the bar, drinking a goblet of, you assume, O positive. It's his favorite, because it's hard to get a hold of. And he just sort of looks up and half waves at you instead of coming over and flirting outrageously. I raise a hand back. He 
just sort of waggles his fingers and goes back to his drink. Marcus and Katarina are sitting off to the side. You see Mariam coming down the stairs. Sylvester the gremlin is sitting in a corner before he gets up and puts his coat on. Alex Giovanni is sitting at a table looking thoughtful. And the small child, the Tremere child, is sitting in an armchair with a corgi on her lap as she is petting it behind the ears. And that very creepy, strange sort of aura you got from her the last time you saw her at Monica's party is no longer present. And she is looking around the room as you enter. She waves at you. But yes, it's it's very strange in here tonight. I'm actually going to approach Annalise. And I'm going to say, Miss, Miss Van Ness, you seem, uh, if you don't mind me saying so, much less spooky than the last time we spoke. Just call me Annalise. I don't want that name anymore. Understood. Understood. Uh, how is the evening treating you? It's an evening. I see. It seems uh, it, it seems rather tense in here. Did you notice that yourself? Yes. It's not been a good night, Sir Roger. Oh dear. Is there anything you'd like to share? You should probably talk to Marcus. Understood. That was my next board of call. She pets the pets the corgi. Okay. I will. Uh, I'll I'll talk to you later, Annalise. Uh, not that it's not a pleasure, but you're right. I should speak to Marcus. Union stuff. Union stuff, exactly. So I'm going to go over and uh, and approach Marcus, who I, I guess isn't is not looking thrilled. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, just approaching him, you get the sense that I don't think tired's the word for it, but um, it's one of those pensive looks. Maybe um, he seems like he's waiting to get something going. Katarina is sitting to. Um, his right. Katarina, Marcus, lovely to see you. Uh, how does the night find you? <laughs> I am working to be in better spirits. Um, there is a matter that the Union must... We must discuss. Indeed. Is uh, Would you like to do it here? Should we find a, a meeting room? or There is a meeting room that's been set aside for it. Okay. Well, I shall, I shall endeavor to find it, and I'll meet you there. I point just over my shoulder at a room that has the letter five emblazoned on it. Yeah, one, one of my one of my five favorite letters. Uh, so, yeah, Roger's just going to uh, perhaps pick up a, a glass of something and then head into the uh, head into the the room with the five on the door. I'll uh, stand up just soon after he leaves. Um, turn to Katarina and say, "As soon as this business is over, we can be." Done with Lysium and on to perhaps brighter things. Understood. I imagine that you'd like me to stay here. I would. I'll uh, walk around the table and then uh, motion towards Mariam so that she can visually see and then head towards door number five. Mariam nods at you as she comes down the stairs. She nods her head towards Olive, who is exiting, and she follows you towards the door. Uh, Sir Roger, you take your drink into room number five. It's a more meeting-style room. It's one of the rooms Sebastian has set up in Elysium for people to do business 
in quiet rooms, so it's not quite boardroom, but there is a table, some chairs set around it, some very tasteful decor on the walls. And Jane the Zemitsi is sitting at one end of the table with her arms folded across her abdomen. She looks exhausted and her face is tight. She looks up at you and nods as you come in, but she doesn't say anything. I give her a quick nod back. I'd actually quite like to uh, to use the power premonition, if I may, to see if I can, because, uh, you know, there's a very tense atmosphere. It's always good to, to know if something fucky-wucky is going to happen. So it is, uh, the dice pool is resolve plus or specs. That's seven dice. Okay. Uh, I got two successes. So with two successes, you get a brief glimpse of you and Marcus and Mariam sitting at the other end of the table. And Jane's just sitting there watching you. And it very much has the feeling of a sort of tribunal. Okay. All right. So I think I've got a vague idea what's going on here then. And uh, as you catch that glimpse, just the glimpse, Marcus follows in behind you, shortly followed by Mariam. Well, now that we're all assembled, let's get to it. I uh, turn and close the door behind us, take a seat, and once Mariam and, and Sir Roger are settled, I turn to the two of them and say, uh, on a night previous, there was an altercation in the street between a member of Clan Salubri, Chase, and a gesture down the table towards Jane. This altercation led to Chase's death. I see. Unfortunately, there are other ramifications. Monica West, being wholly and completely bound to Chase, was driven to a point of a point where she could not be consoled and she chose without anyone's knowledge to greet the sun when it rose and so we have lost both of them san francisco has lost both of them and evidence acquired after an attempted cleanup was made showed the accused as starting this altercation. Well, Jane, what do you have to say for yourself? She's not making eye contact with you, Sir Roger. Good idea, yeah. Considering, yes. <laughs> uh, but she's sort of looking between all three of you and she says, I'm not going to say I didn't do it because I did. I was under the impression that he was harming Monica, that he was controlling her. I've caught that sort of feeling from Monica for quite some time. And when I was called to say that he was taking her out of town, I went. She was crying. It was a very tense situation and I lost control. I didn't mean to hurt her. I thought I was doing what was best for her, and I didn't listen to her. 
and I snapped. And now she's dead, Jen. I know. And that's my fault. I mean, one could certainly make that supposition. She was one of my favorite favorites, you know, Monica. This is the this is how I'm finding out about her death. And I must con- confess to a certain degree of grief. I cared about her too. May I ask, when you believed that Monica was being ill-treated by her sire, why you didn't ask anyone else for their support in this? Why you chose to take matters into your own hands to such a disastrous effect? I was called by Alex Giovanni to help them essentially pull Monica out of a bad situation. Alex did not ask me to kill Chase. Alex has no part in what I did. I was trying to stop him. I was just going to pull him away for a bit. Injure him so that he couldn't follow her. And then he tried to dominate me. And I did not take very kindly to it. I don't like being controlled. And I lost my temper. I did not go there intending to kill him. This does not absolve the fact that I did. It was not me rushing in. It was my fault that they died. If someone approached me with violence, I may use my vast vampiric powers to get them to stop myself. I, uh, unfortunately, can see the potential for myself to be in the same situation, Jane. Should you randomly attack me? Now, I understand that Monica may well have been in a very precarious and difficult position. I think you will both agree that her position has not improved due to your intervention. No. Did you perhaps consider talking to uh, a a kindred who has more ability to solve situations like this peacefully, such as, say, your local union rep? My entire life as a vampire. She looks at all three of you, although still not making eye contact with you, Sir Roger. I've been working with humans for the most part. I find that something bad is happening, abuse of power usually, and I go in and I fix it with violence. That is what I do. Well, it's going marvelously well. I'm sure you'll agree. I'm not offering an excuse, Sir Roger, saying this is how I always have operated. And it did not occur to me not to. I see. So it's the I like killing people defense. I don't always kill them, but I'm not offering a defense, Sir Roger. I'm just saying what happened. There is no defense. I broke my own code, and that's what I have to say. Look at me, Jane. Look at me in the eyes. I don't think I would like to do that, Sir Roger. Jane, what possible circumstance do you think where the consequences of looking me in the eyes are worse than the consequences of not looking me in the eyes. I have no intention to dominate you, but you will meet my gaze. You killed a young friend of mine. She rolls her neck and then she looks you in the eyes. Tell me, Jane, were you to leave this place unmolested by the law of the Union? Are we going to be having the same conversation again in six months when you have again decided that the person who must solve all of the problems in San Francisco is Jane Doe. 
Have you learned a lesson from this? Have you learned a lesson from the death of a young vampire? In agonizing grief. I'm not expecting to leave, Sir Roger. But if I do, in some way, and she pulls back a little bit, she's still looking you in the eye, and she says, it wouldn't happen again. I loved her. Very much. And that would stick with me for probably the rest of whatever existence I have left. I would seek to confer with my compatriots as to what we're to do in this situation, Jane. You've put us in rather an invidious situation. Do what you need to do. I've dished out consequences for abuse of power for many years. Now it's my turn. I look over at Miriam. Miriam sighs. She hasn't said much this whole time. Jane, I appreciate what you've done for my child. I really do. But I can't take that into account here. It has no bearing. And she looks back at you, Marcus, and Sir Roger. Do we wish to have a private discussion? Yes, absolutely. Indeed. I'll exit the room and then head over to door number seven after closing the door and signaling, of course, to the nearby Sebastian that will will be just a little longer. He nods and takes another drink. Once we're inside seven, tucked away a little bit, I'll say um, the, the difficult part for me isn't just knowing what Monica was trying to accomplish in the city. Um, it's not the loss of her vast empathy for people or her talents her human talents not to mention the rarity of her kindred gifts both her and chase's potential in san francisco were vast and of the kindred who came to the barony first chase was amongst the first who needed a place to be protected from mallet's wishes and so it is um it's very difficult for me to square that with the idea that we want to be a place where kindred aren't simply murdered, but I, I cannot allow this place to be a location where others seem it fit to meet out their own justice on the streets. The Wild West must be the past. I mean, it strikes me that we were going to have to come up with the a solution to the issue of some point of crime in San Francisco. It's a shame that inaugural tribunal in this case is over such a tragic situation I'll confess my blood is boiling at the moment I would happily kill Jane myself whether that is an ethically defensible act I'm not so sure in the Camarilla of course this would be simply this would be taken care of by the sheriff perhaps the prince himself I don't know that we're keen to do things exactly the same way the Camarilla did. But there's very... We have limited options. We live a very high-stakes life. Secrecy is very important. Camaraderie is very important. The ability to other, for other vampires to trust each other in this town is fundamental to the future health of our union. Yes, and if we're light in our sentence in any way with Jane... Uh, there will be those who will question the union's strength, the discipline. It's uh, the kindred who are within its own boundaries. 
And that's a very dangerous position to be in. Mariam looks up and she strokes her chin a little bit and she says, we do have limited options and I know how things were done under the old system. I can't say she doesn't deserve it. However, I will say the prophet exhorts us to not meet violence with violence, at least not in death. And that is something I have tried to exist by not only in my life as a vampire, but my life before. I believe it was also the prophet Yasu who said, let they who are without sin cast the first stone. Can either of us any of us say we have not killed in a fit of rage. I have several times. I have as well, when I first started especially. And I carry that with me. I, of course, stand in front of you unimpeachable and blameless in all things. I'm certain, Sir Roger. You are a paragon of vampiric virtue. Not to mention theatrical. Indeed. Quite. I have meted out justice in my own way. Sylvester can attest to that in ways for us that will heal eventually, but I have never taken another kindred's life because I don't believe in meeting death with death. Vision of the other two of you is against that, then I will accede to your wishes because this is beyond just me. But it is my duty to at least voice the word of the prophet because that is my code. There is, of course, the option of expulsion from the Union and de facto from San Francisco. Or there's the option of labor, where the accused will work off their debt to the Union for, I don't know, a hundred years, two? What, what price of washing dishes do we assign to the death of Monica? Hmm. That's a difficult tally. Uh, although she, she could, one could argue that she did not cause Monica's death directly, that Monica of her own free will chose that path. But, but killing a vampire one is so deeply bonded to, obviously there are going to be fractures afterwards. It is Chase's death and death, a death so open in the street, one which, had it not been for our union's friendship with the Nosferatu clan, would, would have been a full breach. So it will be important later in our dealings that we acknowledge their assistance in making sure that this did not become something more than it is. Be that as it may, Jane must be punished. I don't think a free spirit such as her banning her from the city is justice. She's going to get on her motorcycle one way or the other and leave town at some point. That was going to happen. There is no, um, there is no punishment there. And while putting her uh, to the, the worker's hammer is something that I could most certainly do and see as a fit sentence, then who should she work under the union we, we don't have any trade houses as of yet <laughs> um, but that is not to say that we could not find her something to do I feel like 
part of me was ripped out when this happened, in a way. Monica was part of our collective future, and Chase in some way as well, and they have been stolen from us because of one kindred's rage. And there are very few clans other than Clan Bruja that know what rage means. I know the cost of it. The price, if it is not true death, then the price must be high. She must serve as an example. Indeed. I mean, the thing that troubles me is that this was the act of a fool. And one can repent from an evil act, but it's rather more difficult to repent from foolishness. And in a year's time, five years' time, 50 years' time, we'll have the same problem again. Jane will once again believe that there is a problem that can only be solved by Jane. Well, there is a, a something with one of the statements that she made about choosing violence to solve issues. There's a, a nail and hammer analogy that any carpenter's union would know. But if that is the case, if you believe that in 50 years time, the next problem will simply be another nail and she will see herself as the righteous hammer to deal with the problem. We will be here again discussing Jane having meted out justice in her own way on the streets again and wonder why we did not stop her. There are other options, of course. Imprisonment. Whether with a stake through her chest or not. Mm, well, we'll have to go to the left side of her body. She did reveal to me where she's hidden her heart. The, we could confiscate her domain such as it exists. I understand that's very punishing for a Shimitsi in particular. Mm. Indeed. Um, she has written a will to Sebastian. We could claim that the Union will take hold of her entire domain while she is placed into torpor. I would say that's the least we should do. Well, certainly. A myriad of cards can be played at the same time. We just must decide what those cards are. Have we considered perhaps, I don't mean to, to be ghoulish by any nature, but perhaps a force bonding? To whom? I have used those to effect before. To the Union. To the three of us. It may be the most severe non-violent option available to us. Although I would remind you that the three of us are not the Union. Certainly. Certainly. We can also put it to a vote. That just makes it a popularity contest. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, I don't know that we have the time to gather the entirety of the Union to vote on such an issue. I mean, we, we have. I'm not sure it would be helpful either, considering, one, the number of friends Monica had, but also the work that Jane has done in the city. I can tell you how my child would vote. Hmm. Yes, and I think that if there's something that keeps Jane from being put to death, it will be the good work that she did do while she was here. But it cannot overshadow what happened to Chase. Absolutely not. As I said to her face, I cannot take it into consideration because that is not just. All right, then. So we agree to take her domain in its entirety. There are other options. I can have her... There are ethical issues, but I have some command 
of human and vampiric minds. I can prevent her from being able to use violence. I could plant a suggestion in her mind that when she feels a, that when she feels a violent thought, she is to turn herself into the local union office. She could be vampirically castrated. She would not like it terribly much, I understand, since uh, she made us aware she does not like the use of the power. However, that isn't my concern. So a gelding. Essentially. Forced behavioral protocols. And she would have to submit to it, of course. I would insist. The other interesting wrinkle of this is that we could make her believe that this was even her own idea. That does raise a little ethical issues with me, I think. Raises some ethical questions. But it would save her life and the lives of others. All right. So um, then let's have a, a simple call then. Do we care enough about her rehabilitation to take all of these steps? Do we believe what she has wrought in the past several days in San Francisco? Do we believe that she's worthy of rehabilitation? Because I can tell you from someone who's listened and heard people talk like that before, there are some notes, dissonant ones that I hear in her voice, ones I heard during the sect war that are very concerning. Well, we don't have to decide now. We can stake her and put her in the drug tank. I think for the good of the city, we should decide. Very well. Delaying things too long tends to cause unrest. And as you have noted, Sir Roger, this is a fairly nascent thing we are trying to build, and it will fall apart if we leave things unresolved. So these, as I understand, were our options. We either gelt the vampire, bind them, or either way, their domain is to be seized. Certainly. And they will hold no domain in the city for a number of years. Well, we could see how we feel about those. Option one, blood binding. What does everyone feel? That would be my choice. That would be your choice. I would argue it may be crueler than the more surgical method that I proposed. I don't like the idea, Sir Roger, of breaking another kindred's mind that way, using your powers to stop her from doing things. I would say the blood bond. I understand. Marcus? Honestly, I think she should pay with her life. Well, we would find many who agree with you. I'm sure. But if you were to both decide that you were against killing her, bonding would be my preferable method. The blood is very powerful, and there are very few kindred who can deny it over a long period of time. It would also require a parole system of sorts. She would have to report into us every month. That's right. So what say you, Sir Roger? End it now, or make an attempt? Then I vote for the blood bond. The blood bond, confiscation of domain, a ban from any act of violence towards a fellow vampire, 
a ban for, let's say, a hundred years on the embrace of children. Mm, if I may, an additional ban on the making of ghouls. Indeed. Well, should we put it to an official vote, all in favor of the proposal I just made? Aye. Aye. The eyes have it. Bring her in. We'll step out and go to five. Jane looks up. She hasn't moved from her seat. It's time. Understood. She stands up and follows you. I walk her towards seven and then open the door. She walks in very much like someone facing a firing squad. And she just stands there at the end of the table with her hands folded. Well now, Jane Doe, we've decided what's to be done with you. Very well. Before all else, your domains are to be confiscated. They will belong to the Union, and they will be assigned to people based upon their need. I expected as much. You will be banned for a period of 200 years, or as long as you live in San Francisco, from the embrace of children or the creation of ghouls. She's starting to look very confused now. You will also submit to be bloodbound by the three of us in our capacity as union leaders. And should one of us step down and be replaced with another union leader, you'll be bloodbound to them as well. This is, in fact, a much kinder option, I assure you, than the one that I proposed. You can, of course, choose to greet the sun. Rather poetic, given your crime. But this is the very generous sentence that you have been given. You will, of course, report to us every month for your blood bond to be reinstated. This is very much not what I was expecting. Oh, what were you expecting, Jane? Please enlighten us. What should we have done? The normal way of doing things is a life for a life, Sir Roger. I don't know what it is about my manner that convinced you that I was someone who likes to do things the normal way. We are building a better system here. But I assure you, Jane, that if you stand before me again, having been given this opportunity to live a better unlife, you will not have a mind left. We will not need to stake you. You will be a babbling fool. I will dress you as a court jester, and you will stand in the corner of the room in union meetings to remind people of the dangers of turning down the generosity of this union. I have no intention of doing so. As I said, Marcus, I will accept the judgment of the union. Whatever that is. This is what that is. No fight from me. Well, we'll make the public display of this bonding. An example has to be made. That I was expecting either way. Very well. No time like the present. I open the door. I will march across the meeting room backspace towards Sebastian. I uh, approach him at the bar and I lean over and whisper the charges to him and the summary judgment and let him know that we're going to be doing the bonding process effective immediately for all of Elysium to see. He looks somewhat surprised, but then he slips into Keeper of Elysium mode 
And he whispers something to his partner, Farouk, who nods, and all of the wait staff starts slipping out to call people in. I'm back and collect the accused and then bring her to the floor of Elysium and tell Jane to get on her knees. She does without question or hesitation. With Mariam and Sir Roger with me, I'll have Sebastian read her punishment. He reads the charges out loud and he reads the consequences. Jane Doe of Clan Zimitsi has been found guilty on the charges of first-degree murder in the case of Chase Oros of Clan Salubri and of manslaughter in the case of Monica West, also of Clan Salubri. The accused is sentenced to have her domain seized and to be bloodbound to the Union until such a time as it is seen fit to release her. This is the judgment of the Union. Everyone hears this. Alex looks like dead cold, stands up, and walks out. Okay. And Rom, this is the first you're hearing of any of this, but it's not really the best time to speak up. Oh, yes, and I'm absolutely reminding my child of that. I face the crowd and say, understand that we are not binding this vampire to ourselves. We are binding them to the Union. This is not an act of personal power. This is an act of collective power. We are strong together. When we face tragedies such as this, we do it together. Solidarity is our most important weapon. The days of summary judgment are over, Mariam says, looking at everyone. I'll uh, tilt Jane's head back and um, open her mouth. And then just very simply bite my wrist and bleed into her mouth. She holds herself intensely still and does not break eye contact with you. I heal the wound. When I keep eye contact with her, though, I say, make sure you swallow it. She does. Roger looks rather discomforted, but does something similar. And Mariam follows suit. And Jane remains there on her knees, looking at the three of you. You will remain in our custody for three nights. This process will happen again for those three nights until you are completely bound. Understood. Given the confiscation of your domain, I would uh, recommend you spend that time thinking about where the fuck you're going to spend your days. You'll find a nice new spot. Somewhere where we can reach you, of course. Of course. I have some people I need to talk to. Are we done here? I believe so. So Roger's going to uh, briskly walk out of the room following Alex Giovanni. On the way, he's going to stop by Ram, look at Ram, point at the child and say, what the fuck? We will talk about this later, Ram. Understood. What the fuck? I, I did the things you told me to do, but you said you wanted to talk about it later, so. I'm going to go and talk and I'm going to follow Alex. Yeah, Alex is probably outside of Elysium, probably pacing back and forth. <laughs> Miss Giovanni, 
I, I fancy myself rather a student of the human condition, and I've detected perhaps that you are not pleased with the decision of union leadership. No, she should die. She should pay for her with her life. That's a defensible claim. I'm not even sure that I disagree with it. But cannot slay the master with the master's tools. If we summarily execute our criminals based on the decision of three people, to what extent are we better than the Camarilla? To what extent are we building a new environment in San Francisco? I'm not entirely convinced this won't devolve into exactly what the Camarilla does. I don't... I, being an independent, I'm not a part of any of it. I have say, and I interact, and I follow rules, and all of that, but if that's the decision you decide to make, mine is personal. Jane knows what Monica meant to me, and I don't think Jane hurts nearly as much as I do. And I want her to hurt as much as I do. Let me ask you a question. Now, let me make a suggestion, if I may be so bold. One of the most distinguishing features of our kind is that we are long-lived. There is rarely a reason to serve revenge as a warm dish. Now, people of Jane Doe's temperament do not live long lives. And my limited understanding of the Giovanni is that when a vampire has passed away, that is the perfect time to enact revenge. You'll have plenty of time to think about what you will do with the spirit of Jane Doe. But her earthly form, for now, belongs to the Union. Oh, I'll be waiting. Indeed. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in women and never found in man. I've always quite enjoyed that rhyme. But it's even more of a virtue for those like us, in my experience. I'll bid you good evening, Miss Giovanni. Thank you. Thank you for... Thank you for indulging me with your time. Yeah, I'm going to tell him thank you for uh, taking the time to speak with me. Understood. Any time. I'm still your union rep to some degree. So, back inside... Annalise has come up to you, Marcus, and Katerina, if you've moved over to him. And she looks up at you and she says, that's what Monica would have wanted. It's not what I necessarily wanted, but it's what she would have wanted. Yeah, I know, kid. She was much better than we are. Yeah, yeah. She wouldn't have wanted it to play out with a life for a life. It wasn't easy to get there. I'll just put it that way. Certainly not what I expected. Yeah, but I'm trying to think the way Monica wanted me to. It's hard, but I'm trying. Yeah, that's good. It's important. It's her legacy. She did good things. She did. She did. She also made a lot of silly decisions, but that's just how vampires are sometimes. How about... um? How about we get out of here in a little bit? Sounds good. Although I'm guessing you probably want to talk to that child. 
she points with her thumb over towards Catsper, which is a bit disconcerting as you see this, Rom, because it's a literal eight-year-old. I lean down to Annalise and say, do I have to? Well, if you're going to be head of the union, you probably should. No, 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 no. Careful with the thinking there. There is no head of a union. Okay. One of the elected officials of the union. I know. It's a tough, tough thing that we deal with in the post-Camarilla era here. Lots of parallels. We'll work on it. Hmm. When you're 400, language is hard to change. It was hard enough learning English. Fair point. I'm going to go have a drink and sit with Cheddar and talk to whoever shows up. But I just wanted to say to you that she would have been proud of that. Well, good. There's a bit still up here. And she taps her head. Oh, good. Good. She'd like that. Yeah. Come on, Cheddar. And the dog trots after her. Rom and Casper. Mariam comes up as well. Good evening, Rom. Good evening. I am troubled by what I saw, but if it is the will of the Union, I'm glad that it is the first official um, act that Casper, uh, my child, can see. Your child? Yes. I am coming to formally present him to you. I have thought long and for quite some time uh, about the individual that I would select. Um, And I am now presenting him to you uh, in this protocol in lieu of a more defined protocol for union matters. This seems fairly reasonable oh good oh thank god oh okay yeah and then like i'm just gonna like like lean over and just like anxiety breathe for a little while i was just holding all of that in just just like hyperventilating even though i don't need to breathe casper how how are you casper just gives a little nod it is uh very strange uh mr voss you'll get used to it looking around at all the people milling about. The air of tension has broken quite a bit now, although people are still talking to each other in undertones. It it is uh, different. Do you ever stop being hungry? Oh, yeah, sure. That'll go. After a while, you'll get into a rhythm, much like any other meals that you might have had in your previous life. Rom, you're feeding this child, aren't you? I am. I, uh... I've, I've run out of bags and I'm just trying to get him to the right space to where, you know, we can we can feed upon uh, somebody that I can't afford that I could afford to lose um, in a way that would not cause, you know, a masquerade breach with tensions being so high. Certainly, certainly. Might I suggest perhaps uh, in the future you contact perhaps members of Clan Toriador you might know who might have ghouls who are more interested in being bitten? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, uh, fantastic advice. Casper, write that one down. One can do wonders when you pair up with the right person. 
especially the personalities and the tendencies. It can help. Absolutely. I will add that to my Asana checklist. Oh, and um, unless it's not been made perfectly clear, um, I think one is more than enough. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Perfectly clear. And Rom will will internally wipe away other ideas that they were holding in their mind. Good. Um, Casper, this is Mariam, another one of the... uh, Union Council. It's a pleasure to meet you. And he bows slightly, as if he's not quite sure what the etiquette is in this situation, because he isn't. Um, pleasure, I think. There is a lot of people. Roger's going to approach um, with a, a glass of blood that he's, uh, he's picked up from the refreshments table. And he's just going to pass it to Casper and say, drink this. Oh, you're good. You can drink. You can drink whatever. Um, oh, okay. Whatever Sir Roger gives you. Okay. And he takes it. He downs it in one gulp. And Sir Roger, you recognize the kind of signs of a very hungry young vampire who hasn't quite gotten his hunger under control yet. Uh, yes. There's a refreshments table over there. I would encourage you to avail yourself of it until the gnawing hunger in your soul has dissipated slightly. Ram, could I have a word? 100%. I'm going to take Ram off to the side and say, Ram, take me through your decision-making process. Absolutely. Casper, excellent, excellent guy. Follows directions great. Uh, Security plus certified, honestly. Um, which is essential, you know, for uh, and immediately applicable to, you know, managing, let's say, like masquerade breaches. So I thought that that would be like, you know, we would get a little reciprocity um, with those two. Um, And uh, uh, yeah, so that so I, I chose him and then we went down to like the bottom of the ship um into like a place that had several sequential locked doors um that were that were and then i i went ahead and um i i i embraced him with my own vitae um and then and then i fed him with everything that i had uh and when when he had satiated himself um I decided to bring him here to present him to y'all. That would be that would be the thought process. Now, now the pre-thought process was the fact that you told me to think about it and to like strongly consider whether this was something that I wanted to do and who it would be and all of that. And then I did that. And that that happened before the other stuff. I see. Um. Rom, look me in the eyes, please. Uh, uh, I will. I will slowly do that. Now, Rom, we're going to make an agreement here, which is that the next time you are considering doing something that is stupid, and we are going to define stupid as something that would make Roger angry, instead of doing it. You are going to phone Roger. And do you understand, Ram, that this is not something that I'm giving you a choice in? 
and I'm going to use Mesmerize to plant the submerged directive in Ram that before he does anything stupid, he has to call Roger. Your phone is going to blow up. <laughs> yes, well, perhaps I'll get a second line. Do you resist, Rob? After everything I've seen tonight, especially with Jane, I'd hate to be like the shit couple of San Francisco, so I'm just going to let this happen. Okay. So I'm going to roll just to make sure that I don't like get a hungry crit. All right, I got three successes, which should do it. That does it. <laughs> that does it because of, of Rom, especially because Rom's choosing not to resist it. So Rom, you know, it's just, it's fine. Roger's telling you to behave. That's fine. Totally fine. Everything's good. Uh, you also think that's your idea. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, that's good. Do I get like a new phone or is this just like a normal line? This is just an, a normal line. We'll discuss if we need to get a dedicated number for this romp. And I would, uh, I would uh, use this as an opportunity to remember that when you do stupid things, Ram, it creates an imposition upon your good friend Roger Pendley Funt, who is in charge of keeping the Malkavians in line. Well, that's why by I say suggested creating, it. By, say, creating more Malkavians that I have to keep in line. So when you're thinking, oh, I'm going to have to phone Roger, that might bother him a little bit. He might be busy. Perhaps he's having a bath. Then you will remind yourself that doing stupid things is an imposition to Roger. Exactly. And like I said, that is why I came up with this idea. I thought that this would be a very useful way of handling any sort of things that came up in our ways. Because, of course, you're my union rep. So I need to go through you when there are issues uh, that might affect the union at large. And so I just want to say I really appreciate that you agreed with me that this was the right pathway to go forward um, and your time in general, which I know is important, um, that you spent it with me resolving this matter. Indeed. I'm going to go and speak to your child now. What's their name? Uh, his, uh, his name is Casper. Uh, with, a, with a with a K. Oh, how delightful! Yeah, he's um he is uh, uh from Poland originally. Oh, lovely part of the world. Yeah. I'm uh yes, I'm going to leave you now, Rob. Uh, and I'm 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 quite certain that I'll be hearing from you soon. Oh, of course, that's that is the intention and the plan. And I approach Casper. You go over to Katzper, who is drinking everything he can get his hands on. That's a very good instinct. Thank you. Hello, Casper. Uh, yes? Yes, my name's Roger Pendley Funt. I am, uh, I understand that you've got quite a lot of stuff to learn in the most recent days. I'm the union leader, and uh, people refer to me as the Malkavian Whip. Our family, such as it is, that you are now a part of, the Malkavian family or clan, I am in charge of making sure that things go smoothly for us. Now, you can come to me at any time, either as a member of the clan or as your union rep, to ask me for advice or to tell me when you have trouble or problems, and problems will arise. It's very important that when you are faced with a difficult issue, one where you're not sure what to do, and you need the advice of an elder 
It is very important, Casper, that you do not turn to Ram. Ram has many delightful features, many fine qualities. I do not ask them for advice, unless it is in the capacity of deciding what you probably should not do. Oh, okay, Sir Roger. Uh, I have listened to Master Ram for many years. Hmm, uh, a questionable decision. I, I understand there is hierarchy. Yes, so I will, I will come to you. Excellent. Well, lovely to make your acquaintance. Welcome to the world of Eternal Night. And I'm going to, with both hands, shake very warmly and say, Now, my door is always open. Sort of figuratively. It's better if you make appointments. But I'm here if you need me, Casper. And remember, don't listen to Ram. Sir Roger out here undermining Rob with his own child. <laughs> and, then, and then Roger's just going to go and mingle. Okay. So Roger goes to mingle. Uh, Alex has already left. Marcus and Katerina, were you going to go ahead and leave with Annalise as soon as everything was wrapped up with Rom? Basically, everything is wrapped up with Rom. There's, I thank Sebastian for the use of Elysium and um, tell him that I'll be in contact with him shortly. He nods. He looks a little more relaxed now. Mm. Back to back to more of his usual self. Thank you, darling. So while Marcus is being introduced to the new uh, Childa, I would actually want to go over to Annalise because there's something I want to tell her. Annalise is just sitting in on this chair with a smaller child-sized glass of blood that she is slowly sipping at while Cheddar very obediently is curled up next to her feet. Katarina? And I'm gonna sit down. So Jane will not have territory of her own. And I was wondering how you would feel if we kept her in the haven to remind her of what she has committed and the hurt that she has brought. Long-term emotional agony? Sounds delightful. Very good. I will run it past Marcus, but I do not imagine that he will have issue with it, especially since you agree. I know Monica wouldn't have wanted her to die, and that's fine. But I'm still very fucking angry. So I'm good with this. Good plan. Very good. And I will stand up and reluctantly, just a little, I'm going to reach out my hand and she can take it if she wishes before we go back to the car. She does. And she whistles at Cheddar and Cheddar trots along behind you. And we leave Elysium. Marcus and Katerina and Annalise with Cheddar have departed. Sylvester... You saw the whole thing go down. This was your first knowledge of Monica's death. All Alex had told you was that their contact was no longer viable. No one had actually told you. And perhaps you also feel a bit grateful watching the whole scene that Mariam decided to not 
make you talk to the Union about all of your recent escapades. Knowing that they're willing to bloodbond folk is uh, a bit troubling. But you make your way outside. The moon is up. You've only got a few hours left till sunrise. And you make your way down the beach towards a dock further along. It's dilapidated. Nobody uses it. But you see Esther sitting on the edge of it very precariously, looking out over the water. She doesn't even glance up as you come up to her. All right. So, bud, I can either arrange a face-to-face in which if either of you start anything, I will be going with the other. Or you can wait a day or two and I can get you some documentation that shows Marcus Voss was active with the San Francisco Union, Longshoremen Union, in the 20s and 30s before he went overseas. And then mysteriously was very quiet in that time period and then is more active again post-1945. Best I can do. We didn't, none of us used paperwork when we went over. No, I would imagine not. We can't go in the daytime, so, you know, bit of an issue. Union man, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. And she looks at you and you can feel that burn on your hand from where she touched you, that sort of cold burn. And she looks you in the face. Do you allow her to make eye contact with you? Yep. Okay. So I'm going to make a roll for her. Sure. Okay. So you feel this kind of poking around in your brain. Like you, you've experienced mental powers from other vampires, but this feels different. It's not as subtle. It actually feels like something's pushing around in your memories and in your thoughts with a very cold hand. Okay, so you were there. You really believe him, don't you? Yep. And I will point out that Sylvester is trying to use the same techniques that he's used to defend against tons of vampires that have done this. But it's not fucking working. She's just working around those defenses. Mm-hmm. And she pulls back, keeping the eye contact, but you feel that break. She said, mm-hmm. he was after Fred. That's all you oh, needed yeah. to tell me, Sylvester. <laughs> he was after that fucking asshole. Yeah, who do you think sets Fred, set Fred's house on fire? Well, why didn't you tell me that in the first place instead of all this talking around and looking for paperwork? I just, you know, when things don't necessarily line up in your head. No. Well, I do. That's my little coping mechanism. But, uh, no, but yeah, he uh, fucking hates Fred. Really fuck. He's the one Fred men- keeps mentioning in his fucking sermons. He has been I don't listen publicly to that. shitlisted by that. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I don't you gotta listen, listen to, to that him. hateful stuff. All right. <sighs> Tell you what, Sylvester. I'll take you at your word. But if I hear one fucking thing, I'll pop back in. And, uh, well, I've cleaned up most of the things I wanted to clean up around here, but. How do you feel about fire? I am more positive about fire than most vampires. Wonderful. I'm going to go set a church on fire then. I would love to. And she stands up 
and she readjusts her Van Helsing coat over her swords so that it's no longer visible, slung down low on her back. And she walks with you off the pier with a, with more of a bounce in her step. She's not quite as cold and hard as she was before. And she just looks at you and that you can see that where she touched you on your hand, it's sort of glistening a little bit in the moonlight. She says, so uh, being undead and all, are you sure you're happy hunting with a child of Gabriel? Yeah. We'll leave you two walking <laughs> off towards the church. So things have been resolved for the most part. San Francisco is starting to settle into the new way of things. And I'd like to give each of our vampires a coda here to see where they might go for the foreseeable future. Sir Roger, you are part of the triumvirate of the Union. You have made it very clear to Rom on what he needs to do. But really, the theater is your main your main focus outside of the hierarchy of power. What does Sir Roger have planned for the next few nights, weeks? So we see Sir Roger in his element and he's taken his, his suit jacket off and has his sleeves rolled up as he deals with a sort of chaotic cast who are all on opening night looking to him for guidance. And he stands on a stool in front of them and he says, now remember as you go out there, if you're tempted to do less than your best, that in every audience, there is someone for whom this is their first experience of the theater. And in every audience, there is someone for whom it will be their last. And our job is to make sure that they are not the same person. And should they start to boo, I would like you to also remember that if the audience is behind you, you're facing the wrong way. Now let's get out there and bring the majesty of theater to these lucky people. And then we pan away to Roger's jacket lying on a prop table. And next to it is his Nokia 3310. And there's a simple message on it that says, Ram, 10 missed calls. Wonderful. Sir Roger returns to the theater. Perhaps there might end up being some salvation for this play after all. Alex, you're setting up a new place of business, I believe. People can come to your office now instead of sending messages to your haven. You don't have to give out your phone number anymore. There's one for the office. Lila is happily installed at the front desk. It's very nice as it should be for you. Luther disappears for a few nights. He doesn't speak to you. And when he comes back, eventually he still looks kind of tired and he looks like he's expended a bit of his ghostly energy. And he just slips into your office and he shoves his wraith-like hands in his wraithly ghost pockets. His I'm sorry. For? For not telling you. Well, if she didn't want to speak to me, the last thing you should have done is told me. I briefly thought about it, but like I said, it was her choice. I won't stop anyone from taking their own way. 
making their own choice. And she didn't want to be alone, so I stayed with her. But I just don't understand why she didn't speak to me or say anything or if I made her mad or if she blamed me. She didn't. She said for me to tell you that she cared about you very much. That it's not on you, but that she couldn't face the night anymore. And that she couldn't bear to speak to you because it would break her heart. Well, we're here now. And she got her way. Jane isn't dead. Though I think she'd serve us better if she were. Well, looks like they're not doing the old Camarilla ways anymore. No, and that's their point, and that's okay. I just... It's not what I want, but that's why I'm not in charge. I've got things to do. I'll be around. I quite enjoy working with you. I just was afraid you wouldn't want me anymore because I didn't... He trails off. Well, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how I felt. At first, I was very angry. But it's not your fault. The smashing everything in the house did not give that away at all. But I understand. Things are clean with the church on my side now. So, uh, don't think that'll be a problem anymore. Good. Glad something worked out. He smiles slightly and he slips off. And vampires come in and out of your office. They talk to you in Elysium. They keep passing information to you. You start your machinations against Dawn and Curtis, thanks to discussions with Marcus. And, well, no one's going to be sad to see them gone. And one very bright spring evening, Lila pokes her head into your office door and she says, Uh, someone's here to see you. Never seen them before. Send them in. She nods and slips away. And a moment later, a tall woman with her hair pulled back in curls, wearing a very severe looking skirt suit and a cameo necklace, stands there and she looks at you with a familiar profile. And she says... I'm Kate Markovich. I hear you were looking for me. Oh, indeed. I wanted to invite you to the city because I have a friend that is attached to your family that has been missing. Mother? Yes, actually. That would be wonderful. We haven't spoken in years. Maybe it's time. Well... I have a place. I'll write down the address. Uh, I made this especially for her. And uh, it's where she's going to be most easily available. Wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate you coming. She means a lot to me. No one's ever looked for me as hard as you have. I take it as a compliment. (laughs) And she 
smiles, and exits your office. And so we'll leave Alex Giovanni for the time in San Francisco, going back to their normal business, sending their little birds flying around, weaving their webs, and perhaps not the same person that they were before. Ram the Shaman. hey You have a new child. I do! You haven't completely lost your new interest, let's say, from the last few weeks. Perhaps even if you were worried, you might. Oh, you mean Jane? Yes. Ah. And uh, there seems to be no need to go into full panic, shut everything down mode. In fact, you you feel a compulsion not to. Of course. You just every time you th- every time you think about maybe I should maybe I should just let all my ghouls loose and leave something in your brain sounding like Sir Roger says maybe better not. So, what does Rom do after all of these events? Well, I think now that San Francisco is calming down, we have such a lovely event space. We have these lovely parties we've been hosting at, and I have a fantastic number two here uh, to work on this enterprise together. I think it's time to start offering a few of the kindred of San Francisco the ability to come on out to the boat, spend a week or two at the retreat, and start trying to sell them on this idea. Try to, not sell is probably not the right word, try to, you know, speak to them about this concept of this new kind of relationship between the majority of humanity and the society of kindred. One centered around uh, mutual service uh, to each other, a, a shamanistic kind of service. See if I can get anybody, maybe just one or two people, to bite a nibble on that worm. So you get some kindred who start coming to your little retreats. Sir Roger may pop by occasionally just to make sure everything is copacetic. And mostly you get Malkavians at first, and then a few others start trickling in especially once the union really gets up and running. And you're able to connect with people in a way that you weren't really able to for a while. You find more peace in that chaotic brain of yours. Katzper has a worrying tendency towards anxiety and OCD that you've noticed in yourself. It seems to get much worse now that he's been embraced and has a link to you. But once he gets his hunger under control, he seems to be doing okay as a fledgling in vampire society, though you can't let him off the boat for a little while without you. Of course. He does seem to chat with Sir Roger quite a bit. They seem to be (laughs) maybe friends? Who knows? This is all good in the neighborhood. And... Maybe you try a little bit for a couple weeks to get in contact with Jane. 
but she doesn't want to talk to anyone for a while. Of course. Understandably. At some point, later in the spring, closer to summer, she puts in an appearance. She's quieter. Doesn't have the same sort of bombastic, sardonic nature that you're used to from her. Mm. And she just invites you to sit on the end of the pier with her for a bit. And I will absolutely do that. Uh, I I have, as my last outfit description, a lovely uh, green and black uh, flowing robe with little, little gold tassels and stuff, especially at the arms. And, and harem pants. Yeah, we're gonna go with that. You sit with Jane for a bit in the twilight, watch the, the moon start to rise. There's a couple shark fins out in the distance. In the distance. And she doesn't say anything for a while. And then, without looking at you, she just says, Things seem to be working for you. After our last talk. Oh, they could be better. Going in the direction you always wanted them to. For the most part. You were right. And a lot of things wrong. Oh, shit. That's not something I hear every day. Sometimes you need to. How are you doing? That hardly matters. You see, that's the most worrying thing when I talk to you is that you don't seem to have a good concept of how much you matter either to others or to yourself. Do I though? Well, I cannot speak for everyone else. And there are certainly people that fucking hate you. But yeah, no, um, shit, Jane, uh, I think you're super neat, oh, and, uh, and yeah, uh, look, I'm, I'm glad that you're not gone. Like, I'm glad that there are people that, I mean, shit, okay, here you go, very simple, Jane. They didn't kill you. They didn't fucking kill you. They could have karate chopped your neck right there. They could have. That's, that's what I expected, Rom. That's what it's you generally expected. Generally, what we do. Okay. The fact that they did not means that someone gave a shit about you. You know, you, you don't rehabilitate people you don't give a shit about. Remember the last time we talked? back when we went hunting together and you said something about if you go looking for the darkness too much, you can't see it in yourself. Had a lot of time to think about that. Come up with any good realizations from that? She just gives you a side eye as if really, really. I don't know if it'll go away at this point. I don't know how you spend... 40, 50 years only seeing the dark. And I really couldn't understand what you said about finding the light. 
it didn't seem possible. Your way of doing things. And I don't know if I'll ever move past this, but maybe you can help me out a bit. Yeah, and I'll just kind of lean my head on their shoulder. She doesn't really react. She just sit there for a while in silence, watching the moon rise. And from here on, Rom, you work on setting up your halfway houses around the city for rehabilitation. You get some other kindred to help start working there. And once Katzper has gotten himself under control, you start letting him assist you. Although you still have to pay very close attention to him. Your sire pops in occasionally as he says to check in on his new grandchild, but mostly to get in digs at you. Of course, Crypto Dad. Crypto Dad, yes. But he's not really much of a problem anymore. And you spend a lot of your time in this newfound calm trying to help San Francisco heal. And that's where we'll leave Rom for now. Sylvester. Ahoy. You and Esther move through the night, set fire to the church gleefully. She seems to enjoy it even more than you do. Pulling books off the shelves, putting American flags, the thin blue line flag, everything she can get a hold of into the middle of the church. It was accidentally destroyed maliciously. And she laughs. What a terrible, terrible, wonderful thing. Mm. And as you watch the church burn in the few moments you have before you know you need to go, she looks you up and down, tucks her sword back into her coat, and says, you want to do some hunting for a few years? I'm game, bud. I mean, have to leave San Francisco, but, uh... Oh, I'm not staying. Oh, good. There's also one or two other cities we might get, we might have trouble getting me into. But, uh, no. You shock me. <laughs> but I'm game. Let the hunt commence. I haven't hunted with a vampire since 1952. Uh, you'll find I'm pretty old school. Keep me on my toes. Yeah, mm. I mean, I'm going to be just that little bit more happy inflicting pain than you. Oh, we'll see about that. <laughs> and that cold, ugly feeling in your gut disappears as the church burns to the ground. You feel a bit calmer as you move through the world with Esther. Something about her presence. It's very energizing, but it also releases some of that tension in your brain, some of that anxiety you've always felt, especially in cities. And the angel and the demon, so to speak, make their way through the West Coast, up into Canada, cross over into Russia, destroying silently as they go. And Sylvester, you've never been so fucking happy. 
great time, bud. It really, really is. And you find yourself balancing things with her, stopping her in moments sometimes when you're not sure if this is the right person. And she unleashes your inner rage at points you were never allowed to before, where you had to be controlled. You can let loose when she takes you hunting. Some gang girl would hate this, but uh, Sylvester has embraced it with both harms, and uh, he is doing many harms. He's very happy with his strange, new, weird life. So we'll leave Sylvester and his new hunter best friend cutting their way through the fascists, the Nazis of Europe, both the ones who were there and the ones who took up the mantle afterwards. And the world is maybe a better place for it. Katerina. Yes. Do you present your your plan for Jane to Marcus? Oh, for sure. Like in the car ride home. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, I don't have a fundamental problem with it, provided Annalise is on board. I think that it would be good for Jane every night to see the child that she made motherless. So you arrange that, Katerina. And uh, Annalise is a bit coldly gleeful as you set everything up. But once all that's arranged and Jane has moved in a few nights later after the blood bonds have set, so to speak, you can get back to your own concerns. Sophie is completely bound to you now. What do you do with Klaus? I'm going to keep him too. Just filling out the haven with all of these wayward souls. We adopt the orphans, apparently. You don't need to break Klaus the way you did Sophie. I wouldn't think so. Even though he was a ghoul, he was still more of a terrified young man. And he wasn't as wrapped up in William's doings. He was mostly kept around as food. And Sophie tells you he was only bound to William for five years, whereas she'd been with him for almost 30. So once the effects of his blood bond to William pass and you bind him to you, he's very calm. He's an athlete swimmer, apparently, which may uh, give Marcus some enjoyment. And uh, he starts talking to Annalise. They speak to each other in German quite frequently, and she starts teaching him English. So he is able to start communicating with you in broken sentences after a while. Seems fair. Uh, Once Sophie has kind of regained a little more of herself, right? That she's not so timid around me all the time, which that's a slower process, but that's okay. Uh, She's going to be helping out around the clinic. It gives her something to do without me having to give her extreme instructions all the time. And once Klaus is settled in the cases where 
Marcus and I are not in the Haven. I'd like him to kind of babysit Annalise, just kind of keep an eye on her. She has him wrapped around her little finger. Absolutely. Uh, you get things running at the clinic very smoothly. All the bugs have been worked out. Sophie is very good at the administrative section of things. And very... Once she settles into this job, similar to the job she had before, it is a lot easier for her to relax and actually work for you in a way that isn't looking back at you at every step. And the twins are still there working on the back half of things. They're a lot quieter than they used to be, but they're still enjoying the work. They run things smoothly for you. They're very good at their jobs. I also want to have a conversation with Jane. Okay. So you come back from the clinic one night. A fresh shipment has come in, and there were a couple of your fellow Toreadors who wanted to uh, have, a, have a taste. They were getting a bit hungry. And you wrap things up. You go back to the Haven. Jane is sitting in a library in the back of the Haven, studying a medical textbook, taking some notes, and she looks up as you come in. How are you feeling? I haven't had feelings in about a month, but thank you for asking. Well, it seems like you should have feelings of guilt and despair. You have broken too many people. I want you to remember that. Hard to forget. Good. And if it ever seems like you are too settled in, I will bring the poor girl that you orphaned so that she may remind you. This punishment that you have gotten is more than you deserve, but that is not my call. I am well aware that I didn't get what I deserve. Very. But Annalise finds it favorable for you to be here and see her. And I think that you should spend more time looking at her and the pain that you caused rather than being here. You're probably right. I'm not going to put restrictions on you right now, but I will check in. And if you are still numb, we will coax it out of you. And I'll walk out of the room. You leave. It's very full in the Haven now, in a lot of ways. But a little bit later, you see Jane exit the room and go towards Annalise's room. Things are very quiet for quite a while, for several nights. But Annalise is, if not quite happy, she's amused. And you're fairly satisfied with how it's going even if it's not the outcome you wanted. 
And at some point during the summer, you get another text from Ray Ray saying he has big news. Do you go see him? Oh, yeah. Now that you don't need to call him into the territory anymore? Yeah. I imagine that over the last few months, I've been spending more time with him in general. Mm -hmm. Just because being away from him for a long time was rough. So I'm probably visiting him a fair amount. Nice to see you around more, darling. Really. But come in, come in, come in. And he gestures you in. He and uh, Raul have been living together for six months now. And he's bouncing on the balls of his feet. And he looks over his shoulder and Raul comes in. And Raul looks at you bashfully, which is the first time you've ever seen him blush. And he just holds up his left hand. And there's a ring on it. Well, old man, it's about time. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Speaking of about time, um, so you're, of course, you and your boo are invited to the wedding. It's at night. Don't worry, I know you're a night owl kind of thing. I don't imagine that's changed, bakery schedule or not. But, you know, I know you don't really go in for emotional event kind of things, although I really think you should break open that cold shell you've built around yourself. But uh, I was hoping you'd come. It, it's... September. Oh, I will be there. Don't worry. You know how much I love you and how much I want you to be happy. Well, I wanted to ask a favor. Would you make our cake? Yes. As long as I'm allowed to use the facilities of the the bakery. You know, I still consider it half yours, Katerina. So just, I'm really fucking happy to see you more. I'm just... I missed you. And I missed you. In case you were wondering, I don't have quite as much shell anymore. Yes, I'm starting to see the cracks, and it's not just the foundation. And then he laughs. I'm happy for you. You know, it's it's been great seeing you grow as a person. I really thought we were stagnating there for a while. I'm just going to scoff at him like, listen, just because I didn't for a long time feel like I needed other people in my life, you were, you are always my rock. He blushes furiously as much as you can see under his, his darker complexion. And he's, okay, this is too much emotion, too much emotion, even for me. Okay, enough, enough, enough. Raoul, bring the snacks, please, before I melt into a puddle and ruin the carpet. And Raoul laughs, and they start chattering away to you about wedding plans. So as the nights draw on, let's also have a look in on Marcus and Katerina together. What are the two of you up to at this point? Well, I think the... I think the situation as it is with the city and the union is probably going to draw Marcus a little closer to the Haven, especially with all of the, even with the barony no longer in technical existence, there's still a pretty strong tie to the the pier and to the 
San Francisco wharfs and, and docks themselves. And so he's probably going to spend some of his time there with Katerina. Now that the, I don't want to say the war, but the strife with Clan Ventru has calmed. And now that we have an opportunity to exist without the rapid use of vampiric disciplines in an attempt to stave off hunters like Esther or Pastor Fred, uh, I think we will probably have a few more communal nights at the house. I likely would have had set up perhaps a, a dinner for us in the Haven. And, you know, with, with most of the, the people still, the, the we'll just say that the staff, the important people, Gene, Esmeralda, those sorts of folks, being welcome to, to come and to, to dine with us or to enjoy the presence, so to speak. Uh, but after they clear out, I can imagine um, turning to Katarina and uh, saying, I have a, uh, a need for uh, something that only uh, you can provide. As far as I'm aware, you have many needs. What is the particular one today? What is a man without needs? Boring. We are doing some important work here, important union work here. But I have a former business, we'll just say colleague, who is working in the Las Vegas area. And I need to get him a message. And I certainly can't trust Rom's network just yet. And my colleague, that's the best way to put it, isn't someone who is even going to tamper with electronics, not after the Second Inquisition. And so I'd like to send a personal message. Well, we do have Sophie. We do. But I want to make sure that she's up for the travel. Do you feel like she's prepared? Yes, she's been... I believe doing a certain amount of well babysitting, but it is not out of realm to send her out if necessary. She would have to come back. Certainly, as uh, anyone so connected would. I think it'd be important too to mind the title. We don't want Annalise believing that she's being babysat by a woman a tenth as old as she is. No, and I've never said that directly to either of them. There's just not an easier way to put it. Fair enough. Before we send her on this um, little task, I'd like to... I'd like to get an idea of the type of person I'm sending my message with. Who they are. I don't know very much about Sophie other than she was Mallet's personal assistant. I'd like to get an idea of what she smells like. How she moves. Would you like me to send her on a run? Oh, I wouldn't be fair for her to run. Besides, we can probably entertain ourselves with her here. Would you like me to call her up? I would. And I will call Sophie up. Sophie comes upstairs. Uh, oui, madame. 
What can I do for you this evening? Come here. He comes into the room. And I, like, guide her in front of Marcus. I present her and I step back just a little bit. I'm going to put on sort of the full predatorial look and um, examine Sophie for just a moment. I don't want to necessarily instill any sort of fear. And I don't think awe is necessary. It's sort of overblown against humans. But I'll gently ease up out of the chair into a standing position and then walk over to her and run my index finger down her inner forearm until I get to her wrist. And then just place my thumb against the back of her wrist and feel her pulse. Her pulse is a bit sped up at the moment. She doesn't know what's happening. She stays still because Katarina has told her what to do, but she's definitely in an elevated heart rate. I will make eye contact with her and not break it. And I'll just let it linger there for, you know, 15 seconds or so. A good 10 seconds past the uncomfortable portion that eye contact gives. And I just want to see what her pupils do. And then I want to keep that, just keep that firm, not hard, but firm grasp on her wrist and just feel as her blood gets moving in her body, what her heart feels like. She's used to uncomfortable eye contact from her past. So she holds it, but you can feel her heart rate skyrocketing because she's anxious around you especially if you're giving her the full predatorial sort of gaze. It speeds up to almost to the point where it feels like she's been running. Mm, I will, I'll let a sort of um, pleased tone come out of my body. Like I'm admiring fine cuisine and I'll say, there it is. That's what I'm looking for. Tell me, Sophie, can you do a good job at something? Uh, of course, if I know what I am to do. You're going to deliver a message for me. You're going to take a little trip, and then you're going to come back. And provided you're good, I will have a treat waiting for you when you get back. She glances slightly to you, Katarina, for confirmation that she's supposed to do this. And I will just, like, run my hands like down her back and over her arms and squeeze them gently she knows we oh, monsieur uh, I can do that you can and do shall I take and lift her wrist just very slightly and then I bring it up just under my nose to smell like her the perspiration on her skin. And I keep that eye contact the entire time and say, you wouldn't, you wouldn't begrudge me a simple taste. She breathes a bit heavier and flinches slightly. She says, no, monsieur. Oh, no, no, Sophie. I was speaking to Katerina. It's clear you're hers. She nods wide-eyed. You will be as good for him as you are for me, yes? 
me, madam. I bite her wrist. I'll make it as pleasurable as possible for Sophie, of course, and use lingering kiss so that way it is just something for her to enjoy. She lets out a little moan of pleasure and the first smile that you've seen, Katarina, since you brought her into the haven. Um, I'm going to take just um, a single sort of draught of her blood. No more really to state any sort of real hunger I might have at this point. It's really just to get a taste of her. And then I'll close the wound so that way there's no um, marks or repercussions as necessary. I will have your message for you in the morning. You're to leave immediately. Be mindful that the person you carry the message to don't look them in the eye. She nods very wide-eyed. Um, I sort of shake my head and make this um, as if I've tasted something strange. And then I turn away from Sophie and then perhaps to another portion of the room. And I'll walk her to the door. And before she leaves, I'll uh, hold my hands out for hers. And I'll twist them over so I have both of her wrists exposed. And I will drink from both hands. And I will use lingering kiss. And I will close the wounds. And I will feed her before she goes on her way. She feeds and then leaves, looking slightly baffled, as usual. But she leaves. Once we're alone, I'll turn back to Katerina and say... I can't, I can't continue to feed from these people. I have no taste for it anymore. I miss those jockers. We need to be out finding those types. Or perhaps I need to cultivate a gymnasium all my own. But I get no pleasure from anyone with a pulse under 120, it seems. No matter. I come back over. I'm going to do something for us. Something very important soon. I think it's important that we have a project for Annalise. Do you understand? Yes. She needs a focus. She needs something she can pour her energy into. I am going to provide her that focus. I won't be telling anyone else except you. Understood. It will be important that we create a space, a new space here, for us to shelter another wayward vampire. And come what may, we still have our territory. This is true. Are we going to become a halfway house? for wandering individual vampires. I smile widely. Are we not already? Yes. The lesson that we learned with Monica is that we need to be more aware of the vampires we do take in. We cannot save everyone. No. And if we are to accept another matching, 
in Sire and the Child. We must be much more aware of their situation. This is true. At least we have those nights together. And you will be spending far more of them at home. It's certainly safer here. At least until Annalise ghouls chatter. Well, she could be ghouling random people on the pair. Let's be honest, that is probably the safer option. If you see a Corgi with a bit of a bloodlust, you know why. Yes, she will not have more than cheddar. I will not allow a whole pack of small dogs in this house. I look forward to that discussion. So... I'm going to come up to you and I'm going to uh, guide you over to a chair and sit you down in it. Okay. And I will straddle your lap with my arms around your neck more assertive than I usually am. You know that I love you very much, Marcus Voss. I do. I don't say it to many people or very often. So it's very important that I tell you. I smile. There are fewer clans in existence that are more passionate than ours. Yes. Shall we retire and see what the night brings? And I will get off your lap and grab your hand to take you to the bedroom. I don't think Marcus is going to object in any way. Marcus. Yes. What's uh, on life like for Marcus after all the events? Well, I think it's going to be very busy um, for a lot of different reasons, both the connections with mortal culture and then also standing up and, and figuring out where the actual you know, pylons sit for the union and what it does. And sort of having that probably, you know, monthly meetings with Roger and Miriam to, to sort out what happens when we do have to punish people. How, how does it work? And then beyond the beyond the punitive stuff, too, Marcus would be very keen to work out where are the benefits? How do we transfer the power that rests around sort of the vestiges of Camarillo culture? And how do we transfer that out to vampires when they are ready for it, right? So that could look like um, financial access, or it could look like um, applied pressure on the local markets to make kindred housing more, more affordable, and as a byproduct, making human housing a little bit more affordable. So that way, um, people can have their own herds and people can have their own... Um, ghouls and that sort of thing be in a little bit more of a reasonable space. Because if the union is going to utilize its eventual power, it must make life better, unlife better for that matter, or for everyone, at least in some regard. And so I think that's really where like the big um, the big idea meetings and that, and that sort of thing will take up a little bit of his time. Um, Although not an architect by trade, that's that's those are the important signs that he'll have to put out and figure out how that works. For his own part, he probably reviews some of the books and uh, letters from David that were left, uh, his sire David, that were left with him to uh, 
hints and, and glimpses of days when vampires didn't need sex necessarily to operate uh, and how those things worked. Um, and then probably just different styles, uh, coming to understand different styles of union leadership as, it, as they exist around the world and how we can mimic them, but also how we, we wouldn't want to mimic them. So that stuff's important. One of the, the biggest bites that he'll probably take is trying to stabilize the local blood supply. Um, part of that will be done through uh, free clinics, not just the one that has been set up, but, but additional ones. Um, there'll be a letter to Frank in there somewhere, sort of explaining his position, uh, the union's position about what happened, given that um, really only a few clans meet see around, and it's important to make sure that they understand the reasoning behind it. Uh, and then, probably after a little while, when things have calmed a bit, um, he'll pick up Annalise one random day and chatter, of course, and they'll take a drive. They're going to go to a house um, that's in the old barony as it existed, tucked away under so many different uh, styles of concrete and luxury homes that no one can afford anymore. A small place, a place large enough to have uh, an apartment, perhaps with basement access or maybe a, a condo that's been tucked into a portion near Coit Park. And Marcus won't explain anything to Annalise before they go. He'll just say they're going to go for a drive. And they'll approach the condo. Again, a nondescript one. Not for sale, but not technically looked lived in. Well protected. He seemingly has keys for it. And when he walks in, he'll allow... Uh, several of the men who are there waiting to greet Annalise before we head to the basement. This isn't ominous at all, Marcus. It's okay. Do you remember a few months ago when things were a little tougher and I asked you that I'd be willing to do you, do a favor for you if you would be able to return one in kind? Yes, Favors are hard to forget for us. They are. I need your help with a friend of mine, okay? He's kind of like your brother, in a way. I push the ping pong table aside. I pick up a five pound sledgehammer. Just go ahead and sit over there. I'll be with you in a minute, okay? And the last thing we see of Marcus Voss on camera is him pounding a concrete foundation six feet down until he reveals the wrapped form of an old friend who's just waiting beyond. And that is where we will leave our vampires of San Francisco for now. In a shattered city that is slowly, slowly starting to piece itself back together. Thank you all for listening. Over these two seasons, I want to thank my cast for the wonderful story that we have all woven together. And we hope you will keep listening for more tales from the streets of San Francisco in the future.